it went from somebody broke into your unit and is living there, so like I have a trespassing situation, to somebody broke in and stole copper, you know, so I have vandalism, to now I basically just have a domestic dispute. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hello and welcome to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories, the show for passive investors where we take you behind the scene of real estate investing. And on this episode, new landlord, Tenants from Hill, will talk with Matt Motel about the unexpected hardships of inheriting challenging tenants from the seller and the joy of managing your own property. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. You're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm Ellie Perlman, broadcasting from the beautiful and sunny Santa Monica. And today I'm hosting Matt Moto on my show. Matt is a real estate entrepreneur, three times best-selling author. His latest book is called Man on Fire. And he's the host of the Cashflow King and American Entrepreneur Podcasts. Matt's focus is helping investors to passively invest in remote real estate opportunities Hi, Matt. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Of course, of course. I'm happy to have you here. And um, I know you have a lot of experiencing, uh, experiences uh, managing properties and managing deals. And um, I, I would be happy to kind of dive in and start with, um, with one, of your, one of your many stories that you can share today. Yeah, and as we were talking about before, the, before we started you know, the, the show, it's like, man, you, when you live it, it's like, where do you even start? Uh, so it's kind of interesting. And I, I like this, sh- I like the format of this show from the standpoint of like being able to show passive investors, buy and hold investors like, hey, this is what really goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bought a triplex last year and it was kind of one of those like weird deals where I, I, I found it. I thought it seemed like a really great deal and, and, it, and it was. I had somebody come to me at the same time who was looking for multifamily and I was like, well, maybe I can just wholesale it because uh, I was looking at a bunch of other deals at the same time. So I said, hey, I got this triplex. If you're interested, you know, I'm in the process of buying it, but if you're interested, I'll just sell you the contract. And he's like, well, yeah, that looks good. The numbers look great. Um, he goes, but I want to get a loan. And I'm like, okay. And so anytime you're, if you're in the wholesaling business and anytime one of your buyers is like, well, I want to get a loan, it means you've either got to go with a lender that will do an assignable contract, which there aren't very many. They've got to be a direct to FNMA type lender or you got to double close. And so we went the double close route. So I bought it. And can you just explain what's the uh, FNMA just for those who, who don't really know what it is? It's, it's basically Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Mm-hmm. So those two, right. it's the government backed lending institutions. You know, who's going to insure the loan at the end of the day? So there are lenders out there that go direct to them. And then there are brokers that will go broker loans for 
those types of lenders. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in the conventional loan market, it's got, they're called conventional because there are guidelines within that, within that lending regulation that say that the loans have to conform to these standards. They've got to be done this way because ultimately what they're going to do is they're going to take 300 of those loans. They're going to package them all together in a bond and they're going to sell that on the bond market, which is really how the whole housing market crashed, you know, 10 years ago was they took like a hundred really good loans and they stuck 200 subprime junk loans in there. And then Warren Buffett, who everyone says is a hero, he, his company Moody's rated these as AAA bonds, even though they were basically garbage. And so they were, these things were being rated, you know, traded on the open market, like they were, you know, awesome. And they were basically ticking time bombs. So not to get into that. I mean, that's kind of an interesting story just in and of itself. But, yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, so I ended up double closing on it. So I bought the property. So I was now the owner. And we got, uh, we were going through the, the process with the lender to get them all squared away. And we had an appraiser come in. And there were no other three units anywhere that had sold recently. And so the appraisers were comparing everything to doubles. Mm-hmm. And so we were getting all these, appra- we got all the comps came in comparing it to two units and they weren't giving any credit for the third unit. And so the appraisals came in low. And so we fought it and they said, okay, you know what? We agree. You know, this is a three unit. If all they had done was said, Hey, this is the value of two units, divide that by two and then multiply it by three, we would have been fine. But they were giving us like $4,000 credit for an extra unit. So we ended up getting a second appraisal and it came in low again. And the lender's like, look, you know, there's nothing we can do with this. It's just a weird, you know, property based on what's going on in that market. And so we ended up moving that guy to a different duplex that he was able to buy, you know, with his lender and all that kind of stuff. And so I was like, well, this is a good, you know, the numbers are great on this property. So I'm just going to keep it. And one of the things I talk about on my podcast all the time is that when a property is for sale, if it's 100% occupied, there's a reason it's for sale. It might be an issue with the seller. It might be an issue with tenants. It might be an issue with the property. But there is a reason that that property is on the market. The seller either needs to cash out. The tenants are either a huge pain in the ass <laughs> or the property's falling apart and the guy can't, you know, the person who owns it can't afford to make repairs. And so they're like, you know, I'm just going to dump it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's actually, it applies to all types, I think, of real estate and all, all sizes of, you know, of multifamily it could be a, a, you know, a triplex, a fourplex could be 1400 units or, or, you know, 300 unit apartment building. If it's 100% occupied, rents are either under market, which you know, the, the, the tenants understand that and that's why nobody's moving out. And we see it a lot with mom and pops um, or owner op- operated and managed properties where they don't understand, they, they don't have the tools that property manage- managers have to look at the market and say, okay, you should increase rents by 5, 10, 15% and they kind of keep it at the same level for years. It's just easier for them or they're just, they're not aware of what's going on in the market. So yeah, absolutely. Right. I, I totally agree. hundred percent is uh, that, that, that's a red flag right there. You know, going in, you know, as the owner, we were like, okay, we don't really know. I mean, we had a property inspection done, you know, a third party went in and, and looked at the property and we knew that it needed, you know, there was some deferred maintenance stuff, but based on the area and the price point that we got it for, I mean, we expect that. 
so we knew the condition of the property and we suspected that maybe there might be some issues with the tenants and pretty quickly we started to realize that okay the reason why this guy wanted to sell the place was because all three of his tenants were really very hard to get along with and we knew the rents were well yeah so we knew the rents were a little low and so based on the numbers it was like okay this is a good cash flowing property as it stands right now but there was a there was a nice value add piece where it was like why well, I, I could raise rents like a hundred dollars a unit um i may have to get rid of these tenants because they may not want to stay and then once they get out i'm gonna have to put some money into the units to make them you know market market ready um but you, you know it is what it is that goes along with stabilizing a property so we buy it we send a letter to all three tenants basically saying, hey, we're the new owners. This is what you do with your rent, blah, blah, blah. And we couldn't collect from anybody right away. And that's that's not uncommon. A lot of tenants are like, well, I don't know who you are. I don't trust you. So I'm not sending you my money. Uh, it was interesting because we had received, you know, we from the seller, we had received phone numbers. You know, here's phone numbers and emails for everybody. The front tenant is... Um, I think he's Portuguese. He doesn't speak any English. So he speaks Portuguese. And um, so we're communicating with his daughter who doesn't live there, but she speaks English. And so we deal with her, you know, and since then, like every three months, we'll have to post an eviction notice because he'll, you know, he got robbed at the quickie mart or he lost his job or whatever it would be. We always get some kind of story as to why he can't pay rent. And then we post an eviction notice and then magically the daughter's like, she'll ghost on us for like two or three weeks. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, you know, hey, I was just going to reach out to you and, and we can pay rent today. It's like, oh, it's a miracle. He's the best tenant. So the, the third <laughs> unit, which is the, the one bedroom, <laughs> yeah, he's the best tenant. And he's probably, his unit is probably like $200 a month under market. And so we don't want to get rid of him. It's one of those things that, you know, people when they're new, in, in real estate investing, they go, oh, well, you just get rid of the tenant. And you're like, yeah, but what's the trade-off? You know, you have to really look at it from a business standpoint and say, okay, I've got a tenant who's paying X amount of dollars a month who, for the most part, pays, or he's a little late, but he pays. And I get rid of him, so I have to go through the eviction process, which isn't awful in Ohio compared to California where you are or like in yeah. New York. Those are awful states to try to get rid of somebody. So he's month to month. So what we would have to do is we'd have to file a 30-day notice that we're ending your tenancy, right? And so I've said, okay, I'm going to not collect rent for the next three months. And then I'm going to go spend a few thousand dollars just so I can get an extra $200 a month. So you have to do the math and say, how quickly am I going to recoup that investment? You know, the, lo- the lost rent plus the money I'm going to pour into the unit to make it rent ready. Is it going to take me six months to recoup it? Well, that's not a bad deal. Is it going to take me six years? Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It might make more sense just to try to slowly increase his rent, you know, every six months or something, just say, Hey man, I'm going to increase your rent 25 bucks and hope that it's not enough to burden him to the point where he you know, doesn't stay. Now, if he moves out on his own, then that's fine. So I don't have to go through the eviction process. Matt made the math and decided not to evict his non-paying tenants. Instead, his plan was to approach them directly and collect his rents. Well, that was a great plan until he met his tenants. 
So anyway, so that was the front tenant. We had the tenant in the back and then we had a tenant upstairs. Tenant in the back didn't pay any rent. And we said, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to, if you don't pay, we're going to post an eviction notice. And then we got the message, you know, so we're texting these people because that's the way they respond. So we're texting saying, hey, we're coming over on Tuesday to post a reading notice if you haven't paid your rent. And we keep in mind, we've been like going back and forth and texting with them. And all of a sudden you get the, who is this message? It's like, (laughs) you know who this is. Like we haven't changed our number. You know, you know who this is. And then they're like, well, what's my last name? I had no idea. (laughs) So, and I'm like, I don't know. And I said, but I know your first name. It's Michelle. And they're like, well, what, what are you going to put on the eviction notice? I'm like, I'm going to put uh, Jane Doe, you know, in quotes, Michelle. And I'm like, and that's good enough for the court system. And three days later, they were gone. So they packed up all their stuff and they moved out. So it was like, well, that's good. You that know, was is, relatively That's easy. not bad. Yeah. Not bad. The problem though that you, you have in like marginal areas, like this is a C neighborhood. And, um, you know, the problem that you've got in, in areas like that is that if you have a place sit vacant for too long, it's like people start to know that it's vacant. Yeah. And we were like, well, okay, so we've got this tenant out. We need to go in and clean it up before we can put something new in it. We were debating on back and forth, like, okay, do we put carpet in it or not? You know, do we clean the carpets? Do we put new carpet in? The carpet's like this, like, plum purple color. And so in the process of doing this, let me back up because I need to get to the top tenant because she's the best. (laughs) So we bought this place and it was right around Thanksgiving of last year. And it, it, we had a mild fall here and it didn't really get cold until probably the first week of December. And all of a sudden it went from like decent temperatures to like really cold. And it happened really literally overnight. And so I was at, I was out in Phoenix and of course it's like the universe knows that you're not in town. So something crazy is going to happen with one of your units while you're gone. And sure enough, you know, I'm in, I'm in Phoenix and I'm hanging out with my buddy and, and just needed a couple of days to get away. And I get this message from the upstairs tenant. She goes, I don't have any heat. So my initial reaction is like, okay, I just bought this place. Like I have no idea what's going on. Right. So like, is her furnace bad? you know, whatever. And so I text her, I'm like, are you paying your gas bill? You know, I don't know. Right. So I'm thinking for first, first thing, right. Are you paying your bills? And uh, she says, well, no, but we have this thing where we pay the one time turn on and uh, the gas company needs to get into the basement and I don't have a key. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> Okay. So there's this like hustle that goes on in mm-hmm. Cleveland with the gas companies where the people that have know the system know that they aren't going to shut you off because it becomes a, a health concern. You know, if I've got a unit and it's, you know, negative 10 degrees outside and the gas company just came and shut my gas off and then somebody freezes to death. Well, that's a huge liability thing. So the gas company will not shut them off. So they pay their deposit at the beginning of winter and they push it as long as they can. So it got cold and they were probably like cold for a couple nights and they thought, okay, we really need to pay this deposit. Let's scrape together a couple hundred bucks so we can pay the gas company. And the gas company's like, well, we need to come out and the meter's in the basement. So she's like, well, I don't have a key to the basement. And I'm thinking like, how are you getting into the basement a week ago when 
you know, before I own this place. And so I called my contractor. I said, hey, can you go over there and meet the gas company and get into the basement? And he's like, yeah, no problem. And so we go over there and then uh, the gas company's like, well, there's a leak somewhere in the line. So you need to fix it. And then we'll go ahead and turn the gas on. And I'm thinking like, there was gas on in the spring and you guys shut it off and now all of a sudden you guys turn it on and there's a gas leak somewhere. And in older homes, you could have gas leaks and there could be the a valve could be leaking. Somebody could have gone down on the furnace at some point in time when they were doing something and there could be a nut loose. I mean, who knows where gas could be leaking from. It, it passed in, inspection yeah, you bought the property and everything was fine, no leaks. Yeah, and then all exactly. The and that's where I'm yeah. sitting there going, wait a minute, two weeks ago, I didn't have an issue. Mm-hmm. Now I've got an issue. So I called my contractor back and said, hey, I need you to figure out where the gas line's leaking, get it fixed, and then call the gas company back and get them to come back out there. Well, in the meantime, the tenant is like, well, I don't have any heat and this is your problem. I'm like, wait a minute. I said, I just bought this place. We were doing, you know, we had the gas company in there within 24 hours of you telling me that they needed to get in. Now the gas company's telling me there's a line leak somewhere. I said, which I don't know yet if this is my problem or your problem. I said, if you disconnected a stove upstairs and the line's open, you know, you could have, you're not going to hold pressure. I said, so we got to get to the bottom of it and figure out what's going on. She goes, well, I don't have any heat. I'm like, I understand that. I said, I'm not sure why you waited until it got 20 degrees to call the gas company and turn your gas on. And she goes, well, if I don't have heat uh, by tomorrow night, I'm calling the news. (laughs) Oh my God. And I'm like thinking, I'm on vacation. You know? Not anymore. Well, no, exactly. And it's like, not even that. I'm not even in town. So I, you know, call my contractor back. We have a good relationship, obviously. <laughs> and I said, hey, this lady's threatening to go to the news. I don't know if she will or not. I don't know if the news is going to care or not. I said, but I really don't want to find out. I said, so can you run over to Home Depot, pick up some space heaters, take them up to her. She can plug them in. You know, she's only got, she's got a two-bedroom apartment. Get her three. Get two small ones. Get one big one. She can put one in the family room, two in, one in each bedroom. She can plug them in. And then she's got heat until we get the gas situation sorted out. And he's like, yeah, that's a good plan. So I spent like 300 bucks on space heaters, you know, and I'm obviously, I'm paying my contractor to run all over town to do this mess too. And then um, he gets there and to, you know, to deliver the heaters to her. And there's so much residual heat coming from the downstairs unit up that, He's like, they're in shorts and t-shirts. It's like 80 degrees in their unit. I'm like, what are you talking about? Wow. I'm like, no, isn't it like 20 something degrees outside? He's like, yeah, man, it's freezing outside. He's like, but I'm telling you, it's like 80 degrees in that unit right now. Wow. I'm like, so they don't need heaters? He goes, I gave them the heaters, but they're in shorts and t-shirts. And I'm thinking like, I'm being like, I must have sucker written somewhere like I must have got another tattoo and it says sucker somewhere and uh so I'm like well they've got heat they've got a heat source now I'm gonna get the gas turned back on and you know we're gonna we're gonna do with that 
the ironic thing here is we're like into the end of the first week of December and they haven't paid rent yet. And so I text her, I'm like, all right, look, we got your heat. You know, the, my contractor's fixing the gas. Then we're going to get gas turned on for you. I said, but you know, you guys still haven't paid rent yet for December. And she's like, well, I'm going to pay you $300 now. And then I'll pay you $200 next week when I get paid. I'm like, that's fine. You know, and I'm a bad landlord from the standpoint that when people are like, hey, can I have a payment plan? I'm like, sure. And I'll let them do it once. And that's my new rule. So here's how this kind of played out. So we got her heat turned on and she paid the 300 like she said she was going to pay. And then we didn't get the 200 like she said she was going to pay. And it was right around Christmas time. And we knew anytime a tenant's behind around Christmas, they ain't paying. Your money is going to go to pay off the layaway at Kmart or Target or Walmart yeah. and provide presents for whoever it is that they want to, you know, you're, they're going to celebrate Christmas with your rent money. They're not paying rent. And so we didn't expect that. You can't get rid of them though if you've collected anything in that month. That's the Ohio law. So we collected the 300 mid-month. And so we didn't have the ability to evict them in December at all, even though they missed their agreed you know, payment plan. So January 1st comes and they don't pay. And they're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to pay. So she then pays another 200 bucks, which is really the rest of December. And so then we're like, well, okay, fine. You know, and then she says, well, we're doing, we're doing our, you know, I got my W2 and I'm doing my taxes and I'm going to be able to get caught up. I'm like, great. You know, again, I'm a bad landlord. So I'm like, yeah, that's fine. You know, get caught up. She never paid another dime. And so what ended up happening was we had a gal in our office that went and filed a three day notice and then we got the eviction date set and then she left you know, to go do something else. And we didn't know that. I didn't know this because the first time I'd experienced it was, and I'd always signed the eviction notices myself up to that point. And I was doing something. And so I just told her, I'm like, hey, run out there, post the eviction notice. You know, here's where they're at in the office. Grab, grab one of each, put down this number for the amount she owes and then just sign it and put, tape it to the door. So she's gone working at her new job. And the attorney's like, well, whoever signed the notice has got to be there in court. And I'm like, stop. And so we call her up. We're like, hey, um, you know, we need you to come to court. We'll pay you, you know, all this and all that. And she starts giving us like this hard time about, I just started this new job. I can't take time off, blah, 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 blah. And so we had to, can't, we had to dismiss the eviction because wow. we couldn't get her. I mean, we could have forced her, but I was like, I don't really want to go down that road. So we dismissed the eviction, which basically you got to start the process completely over again. And so we got to wait till the next week, file a new three-day notice, get a new court date, which is like four weeks out again. And so we just got rid of her. She's been out now for about a week. Oh, wow. So it's a recent thing. Yeah. So she knew she was getting evicted because she had the first court date and then it got dismissed. And so then I called her and I say, hey, look, we dismissed your court date and I didn't tell her why, but I said, I'm giving you one last chance to work with us. I really don't want this to go on your record. I really don't want this to go on your credit. Blah, blah. I'm like, I'm trying to use all the scare tactics I can. Right. And I'm like, I really don't want this to affect you. So can, you know, can you work with me? Yeah. You know, 
um, I'm just going to move out. I'm like, that would be great. You know? And when do you think you're going to move out? Well, I'll be out by the time the next eviction court date comes. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, no. And so we get the date. She's still not out, not making any plans to be out. And about a week before, about a week before the court date, I get a text from her, clear out of the blue, because she hasn't talked to me. She hasn't returned calls or texts or anything. Somebody broke into the back unit, and I think they're living there. And I'm like, oh, gosh. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go check this out, you know. And like I said, this is, it's not a bad area. Like I don't, I don't buy in bad areas because I just, there's so many headaches. And this sounds like a, this sounds like a huge headache, right? So I'm like, okay, well, I need to go check this out. So I have an old pickup truck that's great for doing property management stuff and lawn care and all that kind of thing. So I get my big truck and I'm like, well, I need to go check this out. I don't know if anybody's going to be in there or not. And Ohio is a right to carry state and I have a permit, you know, so I'm like, you know, locked and loaded and all that kind of stuff. Cause I'm like, well, I don't know who's in this place and I'm safe though. Cause I'm not going to like, if I, if it looked like somebody had broken in, like, I'm just going to call the police, be like, somebody's trespassing, come, you know, check this out. Instead of just being like vigilante landlord, like get out of my unit, you know, and then there's, then I make national news, landlord mm-hmm. shot dead in his own unit. So anyway, I get over there. There's nobody in there. And it really doesn't look like anybody's forced their way in. And so I'm like, this is weird. Then I realized that there's no water. So I noticed there's no water in the back unit. And I'm like, that's weird. And so now I'm thinking, okay, somebody got in and they went down in the basement and they're trying to steal copper for drugs. So, cause that's very common. You've been in that area? Well, just in, I mean, drug seekers go after metal cause they can scrap it and they can get yeah. enough money to go buy themselves, you know, yeah. fix for the day. So anyway, so my assumption is, okay, somebody got in and they stole some copper to get themselves some drugs and um, they shut the water off so that they wouldn't make a huge mess in the basement or get themselves all wet when they're, you know, ripping the pipes out of the ceiling. So I go downstairs and I'm looking around and I'm thinking like, I don't see anything missing. So I go to the main meter and it's off. And so I'm like, okay. So I turn it on and all of a sudden I hear like running water and I shut it off. So then I go, I text the upstairs tenant. So did somebody really break in or is your water turned off? What's going on? You know? And so she writes back and she goes, yeah, the water's off. Oh my God. I said, so nobody really broke in? No. So that was her way of bringing you over there. Yeah. The so that was her way of getting me out there to check on the water situation. So then I'm standing at my truck and I'm basically, you know, like, okay, I got to fix this. Like somebody cut a piece of something it, and it looked like it didn't go anywhere. So it's almost like somebody was just trying to mess with somebody. And so I'm like, okay, I got to go Home Depot and I got to get a a short piece to like fix this. Yeah. Why would anyone do that to begin with? Well, so the story gets better. So (laughs) I'm standing, I'm standing at the truck, you know, and it's like maybe four o'clock in the afternoon. Right. And keep in mind, I've got, I've got a pistol on my side (laughs) and I'm standing at my truck and I got my back, you know, I'm, I'm 
the doors open. I got a big like super duty. So like I got to hop up into it and I'm, I'm a big guy. And so I'm standing there and the, the seat of my truck is about here, which is great for like a workspace. So I'm like figuring out what I need and I'm texting my wife just be like, Hey, here's what's going on. I don't think anybody broke in, but I got to go to Home Depot and get some parts you know, so I should be able to fix it in about 15 minutes once I get back, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, somebody taps on my shoulder and I'm like, and I turn around and it's this small black guy with like some kind of like crazy Martian plush hat with like the long tassels that like have pockets in it. Like that, like that little girls wear, like my mm-hmm. daughters have stuff like that. Like one's got like a, a bear and one's got like a, you know, like a panda and they're like cute little hats. So here's a grown man who's probably in his mid twenties, probably weighs 110 pounds soaking wet, wearing this hat, like one eye is looking this way, one eye is looking straight at me and he's like, Hey, are you the landlord? And I'm like, who the hell are you? Like, I've never seen this person before. I have no idea who they are. I'm like, I said, well, I said, yes, who are you? Oh, well, I live upstairs. I'm like, really? <laughs> and I'm thinking like, how many people are up there? And he goes, he goes, hey, I just wanted to let you know that there's no water on upstairs. I said, I've determined that. Yeah. Do you have any idea why? And he says, well, yeah. So my, what did he say? Was his cousin or his aunt? So the, the tenant is his aunt. So this is the nephew. My aunt threw my boyfriend out last night and he got, because he hit her. So there was an assault, you know, a battery and uh, he was high. He was doing heroin in the unit. He got high and he hit my aunt. She threw him out. And so he went in with tools and he basically screwed with them. He cut pipe to where they had to, they, they couldn't just go down and turn the water back on. Wow. And so now this whole thing plays out. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, so it went from somebody broke into your unit and is living there. So like I have a trespassing situation to somebody broke in and stole copper, you know, so I have vandalism to now I basically just have a domestic dispute, right? So I text the tenant. I'm like, so your nephew just filled me in on what everything that's going on. I said, why didn't you call the police? Well, I have an outstanding warrant for my arrest. I'm like, awesome. Oh, oh my God. I'm like, this is great. So here I am like leading up and and I said, in Cleveland? Because I'm thinking like, we're going to eviction court next week. Like I might just solve this problem really quick. Mm -hmm. And she goes, no, it's in Norwalk, which is like an hour west of where this property is. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, well, that's why I can't call the police because I have an outstanding warrant and I'm worried that if Cleveland police come out and they see that I've got a warrant for my arrest in a different city, they might send me over or make an arrangement to come meet, you know, whatever. And I'm like, okay. And I said, well, I just want you to know, like I'm on my way to Depot right now to get stuff to get your water trim back on. But this is really not my problem. Like this is your problem. And the, all of, all of this is like your responsibility. Well, this isn't my responsibility. Uh, yeah, it is. Because these are people that you're letting into the unit. Like you're responsible. The lease says you're responsible for everybody that's in your unit. 
oh no, that's not how, you know, that's not how it works. I'm like, okay. You know? And so I'm like, that's fine. You know? And I, so I go and I get the water trim back on. So I text her, I said, Hey, the water's back on. And I text the downstairs tenant, you know, the Portuguese guy. And I said, Hey, you know, the water was turned off. It's back on now. There was something cut. I don't know what it was. So test all of your, you know, test your sink, your shower, your toilet, everything. Make sure everything's working properly because if I got to go re-plumb something, I need to know, you know. So he's like, yeah, everything's good. Everything's good. Well, so then the upstairs tenant texts me, <laughs> I don't have any hot water. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense because he messed with the cold line. So I'm like, there's no way. So I go into the, so I, and here I am, like I'm literally ready to drive away and I get this text. Hey, my, I don't have any hot water. So I go back to the unit, go back into the basement. I go over to the hot water tank. And one of the first things I do anytime we take on a new unit is I check hot water tanks and I label them because especially in a multi, I don't know which one's which and I label furnaces. So I check them, make sure which one's which and I label them that way. If somebody's ever going to come in and I got to give somebody like a lockbox code for like an HVAC guy or something to be like, hey, it's the upstairs unit's furnace. The big thing on it says upper unit, you know, big sticker. And so I go over to the hot water tank that's for the up, upstairs unit. And sure enough, the guy messed with it. It's turned off. So I turn it on. I get a text like two minutes later, you know, so I'm, I'm there. I turn the valve so it's working, right? And so now I'm trying to light the pilot. It's got an electronic pilot. It's one of the newer tanks. So it's got an electronic thing and I'm trying to light it. And I get a text, it's working. And I'm thinking like, I doubt it. Like I'm standing here in front of it and the pilot's not lit. But if you tell me it's on, it's on. And so then I'm thinking to myself, you know, they didn't, they, they did the whole gas scheme in the fall. And here we are in May, most likely they don't have gas turned on. Like they used up all their gas deposit. The gas has been now shut back off again Mm -hmm. because the weather temperatures are nice. They don't have hot water because they ain't paying their gas bill. And this is a gas fed hot water tank. And so I'm like, this is why I can't get the igniter to work on the pilot light. And so I'm like, okay, well, they tell me it works. So they're obviously taking cold showers. They're cool with that. The hot water is back on. So my job here is done. So I drive away. Well, then the next morning, I get a text from a tenant. Hey, the water's not hot. Oh, my God. I said, well, are you paying your gas bill? Well, that doesn't matter. Oh, well, I think it does. She goes, well, if you knew the house you bought, you would have known that that hot water tank doesn't even feed my unit. I said, come on. You know, and, and, and what I don't tell tenants is like, ma'am, I have a mechanical engineering degree a master's degree and a PhD. Like I didn't get that by accident. Like I actually am kind of smart and I spent 20 years in the construction industry. I know you got a gas fed hot water tank and it was off and you told me you had no hot water. I turned it on. You told me you had hot water. So I'm pretty sure that's your hot water (laughs) tank and that feeds your unit. So I said, look, I know you do the deposit for the wintertime thing. I'm sure your deposit ran out a couple months ago. I said, so my assumption is that you want me to believe that this is my issue that you don't Mm -hmm. have hot water when the reality is you're just not paying your gas bill. So call the gas company, 
pay your bill if you want hot water. And then she, uh, she was like, well, that's not, that's not how this works. It's your responsibility for me to have hot water. I said, Helen, no, it's not. Like, that's not how it works. And so that was the end of that. And so then, you know, I said, look, court's on Friday. This was like Tuesday. I said, court's on Friday. Are you going to be out on Friday? And she's like, well, I'm making arrangements, you know, blah, blah, blah. And keep in mind, she's now like, because of the fact that we had to dismiss it the first time and now we the second time, she owes like $2,700 in back rent. She has the audacity to tell me that I got to come over there and make, give her. And I'm thinking like, yeah. lady, I just solved all these problems because of your domestic issue. That was not my issue, mm-hmm. right? I should never have had to deal with any of that. You're almost $3,000 behind. Next week's the first week of June and you're going to be another $500 behind. And I'm like, I, I'm not even, like, I'm just, I'm only saying what I have to say because the last thing I want is to, like, get her to have me get fired up to say something that crosses the line with tenant landlord law. And then she goes, yeah. then she shows up to court and goes, well, look what he said to me. She's probably an expert when it comes to that. Yeah. Because that's how and she so, survived, right? And she has nothing to lose. Eviction date comes and goes. And then I get a text from her later that day. You know, I was planning on being out today but could you give me till tomorrow? And, and that, that to me was like red flag. Like she's never been through the process, obviously, because they're always going to give you a week at least. And then they're going to schedule a move out date after that time mm-hmm. of when the bailiff's available to come and like see them out. And luckily for me, it was like a day or two later. And, but it could be like a couple of weeks later. Uh, and in some states like California, it could be months later. Um, yeah, nine to 12 sometimes. Yeah. One of the things that in Ohio, a loophole here for tenants in Ohio is let's say I've got one person on the lease and then that person lets three other people live there and I don't mm-hmm. know about them. Yeah. Well, I go and evict her and then the bailiff shows up to remove her. The, the bailiff can't remove those other people. Right. Because they're not on the lease and they're on the eviction writ. So I was in the downstairs unit checking on the water issue. And when I got that all sorted out, I was just walking through the unit, you know, because I was like, oh, is somebody here? You know, does it look like somebody has been living here? You know, did somebody break in? And I'm like, no, but what I did in the family room, I looked up up at the ceiling and it's like, there's damage and I'm going to have to repair the ceiling. So I'm like, what is going on? And it's coming from the upstairs tenants unit. So what ended up happening was she's got a leak in her sink. Didn't tell anybody. And now the leak, leak has damaged the cabinet to the point where the water's now dripping and it's now going into the ceiling down below to the point where now the ceiling has fallen in and I got to repair that. And so now I've got her out and I got a contractor in there, you know, obviously we've got to replace that cabinet completely because it's water damaged, new countertop, new sink, replace the damaged subfloor, got to go down into the bottom unit and fix the ceiling, but you can't fix the ceiling down there till you fix the problem upstairs. So I can't place a tenant downstairs until I evict the tenant upstairs. Now I got her out. got to go repair that before I can fix this. And at the end of the day, what I've spent on the unit versus what I will be ultimately able to collect on the unit is still going to be great. Like it's still a good investment. All in, we're probably all into the property for about $65,000. And the thing will bring in uh, between seventeen and eighteen hundred dollars a month in rent. So 
you know, like a three X, you know, like a 3% when you're looking at rent mm-hmm. to purchase price ratio, that's obscene. Like most people in the real estate community, when they're buying home investors are like, if I can get above 1%, I'm happy. If I can get above 2%, I'm thrilled. And here I am like a 3% and that's all in. But, you like know, we've, all, we've just listened to the headache of yeah. all this and all that. Um, so, And yeah. how, did you at some point feel that you made the wrong decision in, you know, choosing this specific deal with this, with the, the tenants? And I understand by now, I understand why the first tenant was the best tenant. He never asks for a thing and he pays his rent. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's slow. But he pays. But he pays. Sometimes we yeah. got to post a notice on his door to get him to pay, but he pays. Mm-hmm. Kind of helps that it had that you can communicate with the daughter, right? But, but yeah. did you did you at some point feel you know you probably felt overwhelmed, especially what happened when you were away? Oh, you know, did you cross uh, your mind? You know, why? Why oh, yeah. do, you do that all the time? And you know, it's like Pareto's principle, right? The eighty twenty rule. Like mm-hmm. you spend eighty percent of your time on twenty percent of the crap that doesn't matter, and you know, the 20% is really what makes you like the 80%. It's like universal law. And this property has been like 90% of my time. When I, when I look at how much time do I spend managing my units, 90% of my time since I bought this thing has, uh, when I look at property management time is going to this, this property. And there have been loads of times where I'm just like, I want to, I want to get rid of this thing. I don't care what I sell it for. I just want to walk away. But see, the thing is, that's exactly the position that I'm sure the guy that sold it was in Mm -hmm. where he was like, I can't handle these tenants. They're running over me. Mm -hmm. And instead of just doing what he should have done, which is go through the eviction process, get rid of the tenants. It's not that big of a deal. Go in, put a little bit of money into the units to make them market market ready and then and then do a good job screening tenants you know we try to do a very good job when we screen our tenants well i have no problem letting a unit sit for a month or two while i'm waiting for the right tenant and that's where we're at now you know my contractors are in there now um you know fixing up the units and getting them ready for top market rent and we'll screen tenants and we'll put them in there and at the end of the day it'll be one of those properties that you'll be so like emotionally invested mm-hmm. that you'd be yeah. like, no, nah, I'm keeping it just because I've stabilized it and nobody that would buy it from me would ever appreciate what I went through to get it exactly. to this point. You so like the monetary value, I'd be mm-hmm. like, well, the sale price is $75,000 and there's a $25,000 pain and suffering fee <laughs> that I'm adding on top of this thing yeah. because you don't understand what it took to get it here. So really you know, it's, it is going to be such a cash cow that I'm just going to be like, you know what, we'll just hang on to it and, um, you know, we'll own it and, and mm-hmm. we're going to put a roof on it. We're going to put a bunch of money into the place, you know, exterior wise and, and, you know, just to clean it up and make it nice and, and that kind of thing. Um, so it'll, it'll be a long-term, it'll be a long-term hold for us. And it's really in, I mean, like I said, it's in a C neighborhood, but one of the biggest hospitals in the area is putting like a billion dollar development like they're expanding their whole campus and it's literally like three blocks away. And so we do expect like a, a big gentrification of the area. So, you know. <laughs> That's, yeah, exactly. 
if you could look back at your, you know, and, and give some sort of advice to your 20 year old self, what would you say? Um, well, I would say get started because I waited so long because I was like, oh, the deal's got to be perfect. It's got to be this, it's got to be that. Mm-hmm. So I would, I mean, going back, I would tell myself to get started sooner. First of all, just, you know, don't get so hung up on the, the 50% rule and the 1% rule and all those dumb rules. Run the numbers. If it seems like it's going to be a decent investment, if it's going to beat the stock market. You know, if you're going to get better than 7%, pull the trigger get, and get, get in the game. So that would be the first thing. And the second thing would be is don't, obviously don't assume that just because somebody's living there that it's the property's in decent condition. So, right, right. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being on my show yeah. today and sharing the story with us and uh, kind of exposed how it was to, how it was like to manage a property um, from, from your point of view. That was a really, really interesting story. So I appreciate your time. So Matt, where, where can people find you? Uh, probably the easiest thing. I mean, I'm all over social media. I'm, I'm Matt Motil, Dr. Matt Motil on pretty much every social. I've got a website, drmattmotil.com. It's got a bunch of great real estate investing resources. I got a book that you can get free out on the website. Just throw us a couple bucks for shipping. We send it to you. Um, it's a bestseller, Made on Fire. It was my story of how I quit my nine to five using real estate investing and basically want to help people do the same thing. Cause I feel like that's our biggest problem right now in this country is people were herded through college thinking that was the answer. And I don't know that it is. And so it wasn't for me. So I want to help people do it. So I give people a book. So drmattmotil.com is the best way. Um, and you can, and we got a podcast too, cash flow King podcast You can get it everywhere. Podcasts are found. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. Perfect. So thank you again for your time. I, I had a great time. It was a really, really good, uh, good story. Very interesting. Uh, I guess uh, we'll talk later. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. That was our podcast for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the episode's show notes on iTunes and on my website, www.elliepearlman.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to my show on iTunes. This way you can stay up to date with the podcast and it'll be great to have you back here. And on the next episode, Exotic Investments in Belize, we'll talk about overseas investment in an unusual and an intriguing location, Belize. Hope you're having a great and meaningful day. Catch you on the next episode. Hope you're having a great and meaningful day. Be greater than life. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.